Shelton. It's Dainer and Jay. This podcast is presented by Visa, a network working for everyone. Welcome in to hear that podcast growling. I'm Paul Dieter Jr. here with Jay Morrison. What's up, Jay? Doing great. We were only four weeks into the season. It's like I already forgot how nice it feels to just lay on a couch all day on a Sunday and watch football, watch as many games as possible. <laughs> the weekend off was great. I hope everybody else enjoyed watching uh, the rest of the league play, knowing you already had the W in your pocket. If you're a Bengals fan, if you're listening to this, you probably are. Uh, so that, that's it's nice, refreshing. We've got a fun show for you today, I believe. It feels fun to me. I don't know. We're not we're not in the like we're not in the rehash mode. We're not totally in the look forward mode yet that we're gonna do on Thursdays here that podcast crowd. So so we're kind of in this fun zone, which I'm excited about. And we have two of my favorite people uh that I've ever worked alongside uh, are on this, of course. Mo Egger from East fifteen thirty, you know, will be here and we'll discuss a couple of his tweets. Jay's got tweet stats uh that, that Mo is gonna be Really excited to hear about, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, and then I, my nostalgia vibes are heavy right now, Jay. I'm having like, I'm having some very good flashbacks because uh, for those that have been listening to podcasts that I've been doing now, dating all the way back, shoot, the first time I ever did a podcast was 2014. I had somebody tweet that doing this would would be heavy for nostalgia because the original version of the Bengals beat podcast at the Cincinnati Inquirer was the first podcast he ever subscribed to. And uh, I, I hope that they, that this will bring back some vibes from that. Cause it does for me, my good old, my friend Jim Ozarski uh, is going to come and jump on because he moved on and covered the green Bay Packers who come to town this week. So he's got a lot of good insight on Aaron Rodgers. Uh, he moved home to be around his family after we worked together for four years uh, at the Inquirer doing the podcast and everything else. So you know him very well. Uh, he also then switched over to cover the Milwaukee Bucks midseason and has now covered a championship. And I think there's some interesting connections between covering the Bengals and covering the Bucks and watching what the Bucks just did. Uh, and I wanted to ask him about that. Um, but then we had some bits that we used to do on the show, including <laughs> what's making Jim mad and always something. Somebody's always making him mad. And we're getting him pretty early in the morning for him. So we're going to get Morning Jim to come answer this. So I'm very excited to see how Morning Jim handles what's making him mad and our version of power rankings that we used to do back in the day. We're going to break those out for you. That's the fun stuff that we're going to get to later. We've got a lot of Bengal stuff. We've got news. Uh, we've got uh, some stuff from interviews that we did on Monday. Jay, you have a story up right now on the defense, which we're going to talk about, and sort of the moment of, uh, okay, let's see how you are. And we've arrived at that point, and it's it's surprising that we've even arrived at this point already and not one of dread when Aaron Rodgers is coming to town. So we're going to talk about that. Um, and some chemistry stuff I think that is important to talk to you. I've got some Joe Burrow numbers to update, run pass or boot, all those types of things. So lots to get to. Are we ready? I'm ready. I didn't. Re- I have something in common with Jim. What's the, that? The, the Bengals Beat podcast was also the first podcast I ever subscribed to. Wow. Yes. Wow. How about that? And I, I remember every we worked those long days down at the stadium in the media room when we were allowed to do that. And then everybody would be packing up, ready to go home. And you guys were like, well, I'll have to record the podcast. I was like, those poor saps. Yeah. Uh, and, and little did I know how much fun recording a podcast can be. Yeah. And and uh, how much it would become essential to everything everybody does. Uh, yeah. You know, it's like 
it's 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 where we're at, and I love everybody that listens to this podcast and the other ones. You know, there's a lot of great podcasts in this market that are fun, and uh, and I, I think there's room for all of us, and it's cool that we that I think Bengals fans are pretty spoiled by having a lot of mm-hmm. really talented people doing a lot of very fun and different in their own way uh, podcasts. So I, if those that choose to listen to this one, thank you. Um, and if you want to subscribe to The Athletic, highly recommend that as well. Um, we have a 50% off deal going on. You can just We have a link to that in the description. If you want to go, just click here in the description of this podcast. Um, and you can go there and get 50% off a subscription and get all everything we have across the site. Uh, 400 plus reporters, every sport, every team you could imagine were there. And plus, we've got you covered on Bengal stuff. Um, news right now, health update is kind of the big news. And it's good. For the most part, for the most, uh, you know, if we're talking about the defense, you know, Zach Taylor kind of ran through everybody yesterday, and it's positive. Jesse Bates with his neck injury, T. Higgins with his shoulder injury, Chidobe Uze with his groin, um, all expected to practice on Wednesday, which essentially means I'd expect all of them to play on Sunday against the Packers. That's that's big. It's huge. Yes, the the big one out there still is is Joe Mixon, and. You know, there was a report that he was week to week with the, the low ankle sprain, and Zach has been burned over and over by injury timeline projections. And um, he, he it, it was it was surprising and meaningful that he came out and refuted that yesterday and said, no, Mixon is more day to day than he is week to week. Wouldn't rule him out for this week. Um, wouldn't rule him in either. It's going to have it's going to see they're going to have to see how things go this week in practice. But um, I, I think even that was encouraging um, see, hearing him refute the original port that, report that he's week to week. Yeah, and, and there's two sides to this. There's like, okay, is he really leaving the door open or is he trying to tell Matt LaFleur that he's leaving yeah. the door open? I mean, there's two ways to look at it. I mean, if you – and to me – when you're talking about a sore ankle and we saw I, I started having very real flashbacks when I started hearing Joe Mixon we'll see week to week use. I'm like, oh my goodness, don't do not take me back to this place of last year where we were doing this over and over again and it lasted all season. Um this is this injury with his ankle is not in any way connected with the foot injury that he had last year. Um, so it's just a separate, it appears to be, um, you know, the reports and all that and everything we've gotten on that is a low grade ankle sprain. So, um, you know, the hope is, you know, it feels like one where you give him one more week to be totally fresh and not chance something that ends up re-aggravating and lingering on into the season. But if Mixon wants to play, and I'm sure he does, and you don't mind putting out there that maybe he will. Um, yeah, I think you you obviously would hold out to the last second hope. My gut says he doesn't, and they hold him out to give him one more extra week of rest on this thing. But I wouldn't totally rule it out. I mean, you know, I, I would I'd see there a chance that he you, know, you never know with these things. It feels better on Friday, and you know, you know what I can do this, uh, and and maybe he plays. We'll see. Yeah, the the point that you made about you know maybe some gamesmanship with the Packers is a good one because. I do what we always do when these things happen. You go back and you watch the broadcast. You watch the All-22 to see if you can kind of glean what happened, and you can't. It was along the sideline. It was his first run on that final game-winning drive. I think Joe tried to stay in bounds uh, to keep the clock running and went down a little awkward, and you just can't see because of all the people there how he landed on the ankle. But it is noticeable that the, the players on the sideline, there is 
there is noticeable concern as soon as he's down. Like they are bending over. Normally you're picking a guy up and patting him for a good run and they're like bending over checking on him. I don't know if he screamed when he went down or or they they just saw the way the ankle turned, but um that that jumped out to me especially on the all 22 you see the way the guys show that immediate just concern of, of for Joe and he didn't he didn't return after that they still went down got the game winning drive but um I I think you're right I, I think they'll play this by ear see how the week goes a lot of time even if Joe wants to play maybe they hold him out they, they talk all the time about protecting guys from themselves it is a long season and it'd be interesting to see if he can't go what that split's going to look like between Samaj P. Ryan and Chris Evans yeah I would think you'll see more of along lines of what you saw last year you know, with kind of a true first and second down versus a third down back, mm-hmm. whereas this year we've seen, you know, Evans come in very sparingly on really just third and long situations as they try to develop trust in Evans as a as a blocker on third downs. And so, but I, I think you'd see more of a more of a Samaje first and second, Chris Evans third in almost every situation um, would be would would be my prediction. I, I don't see them shoving Samaje out there over and over again um, and not using you know, the skills that, that Evans has shown. Uh, but so we'll, we'll see exactly how that plays out as the week goes on. But yeah, I think that's probably where it goes. Uh, other words, um, Xavier Sofilo, it looks like he's still kind of feeling it a little bit, or at least feeling it to the point that they're going to keep Jackson Carmen playing. <laughs> um, so uh, he may be feeling it all year. Uh, and so Jackson Carmen will play again on Sunday. And, you know, look, a fully healthy Xavier Suofilo is at best average. Like, that's who he is, and he has limitations. Uh, he has knowledge. He knows what's going to go on. He's seen it all, but the ability to actually handle it is different. Jackson Carmen doesn't have the knowledge. He's up and down as well, but at least he has the trending arrow up, and some of his you know, his size and strength can make up for some of his mistakes so that they're not total disasters. Um We've seen some disasters, but they haven't heard him yet. You know, it's like while he may not be great, and I think his PFF, his low PFF grades reflect that, um, you're not seeing it totally blow up in their face offensively, where it's it's able to he's able to mitigate those mistakes enough that, you know, Burrow can work around it or whatever. So and look, they're gonna keep giving him opportunities and he's certainly a better option than uh 85% Xavier Suofilo. He may be a better option than 100% Xavier Suofilo, and they're certainly going to keep giving him every shot. And I, I I, think we've reached, again, we said it last week, and I think it's still true, barring disaster, this is, this is he's your guy the rest of the year. I, I, don't, I don't see this changing. No. I mean, he looks like you would expect a rookie offensive lineman to play in his first couple games. Not, there's not everybody's Tristan Wirfs or Anthony Munoz where they just come in and dominate right off the bat. Um, there's there's growing pains to be had as long as he's not giving up those those as long as those mistakes aren't creating disasters like you said then they're gonna live with it and and let him learn on the fly and and I mean he, his ceiling is so much higher than Xavier Suofilo's and you you if as long as they're seeing incremental progress you you just you kind of look ahead to where's that game where it makes the big leap. And where everything clicks, and then the, the ball can really start rolling, and this this offensive line as a whole, and Jackson Carmen in particular, can really kind of take off. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. 
we we're talking going to talk a lot this week about the defense. And um, you know, I, I want to kind of switch gears into that because there's a couple of different topics that are bigger picture involved in this too that tie into a lot of what we've been writing. You know, I had a story up on Friday that kind of came out late Friday and kind of through the weekend. So if you were reading it uh, maybe Monday morning when you finally came back up from your bender coming off the big weekend <laughs> of Cincinnati sports, um, it, it really applies to a lot, and it's about sort of this chemistry that has started to develop so quickly and, and how it happened and why. You, know, you look at some of these videos of – the behind the scenes stuff from Thursday. And this happens after wins and things, but this is it's really the next step of the the sort of good vibes that we've been hearing so much about inside of the team and how optimistic and how different it all felt. And it's, you know, it's when CJ Uzama comes in from as one of the last ones in the locker room, the pure joy of everyone coming to greet him when he comes back in and and the excitement of everybody when they receive the game balls and and, you know, you see the video of Zach Taylor standing in the tunnel giving every single guy that comes off a hug and them giving him one back. And there's just like this. It's the actions that you see that back up the words that we've heard about how there's just seems to be a really special chemistry going on in that group. And that stuff can stuff can disappear in a hurry when you lose. But. I think it applies directly to the defensive conversation. And Jay, you wrote about this and, and and people can go up on the site and read it. But you're seeing this group sort of bonding over this young hunger and a sort of unknown, unproven chip on your shoulder thing that has really created this surprising group that is a you know, is playing really well. I mean, DJ Reader mentioned it a couple times yesterday about how important it is that they're all about the same age and you always think you well you want to have some veteran leaders and they do that you know they have got a, a couple guys that have been around a little bit longer that you know ricardo allen those types but it, it is a young group that they're they're going through this together at the same point in their lives and another big thing is the the rotation they use um nobody's complaining about playing time and usage all that kind of thing you know every every time Zach Taylor mentions has one of those quotes about having the right people in the building and the connectivity and and playing through wanting to play when you're hurt. It just you just you, you, it almost feels like he's subtweeting some of the guys that are no longer here. Some of the old Marvin Lewis veterans that they, they that that he worked to get get out of the building. Now this is truly his team. Even though he's an offensive guy, it's his defense. Um, and it, it is, it's just all starting to click and it, it all comes with wins. You know, would, would these vibes, would this, would this be the same, even if they were playing well and they were losing low scoring games, would it be the same right now? Probably not, but they are, they're winning and, and they're, they're not winning in spite of the defense. They're winning because of the defense largely. And I just, I do, you just kind of see it, you know, maturing before your eyes and yes, the, the point of the story is they've they've played four suspect offenses. Now is the real test. You get Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, all these guys that are leading the league or among the league leaders at their position. Uh, it, 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 it should be a fun one to watch on, on Sunday. There's no doubt. And, and I think we talked about this, you know, 
and Lakeland. Can we? You, you mentioned. Let's name names, right? I mean, Carlos yeah. Dunlap. I mean, this was this was the argument against Carlos Dunlap was you're not trying, you don't want to play, you're not playing hard every down, right? And and you know you had William Jackson, right? Who mm. you're you're not. You're not trying to play. You're you're a little banged up, but you're not trying to play through it, you know. And and there's always an excuse when something starts happening, and and that and, and that is part of this. And uh, in that look, you have to have guys that love this. The quote that stood out to me, and and I had this in in a conversation I had with Zach Taylor yesterday, um, and he said, obviously, it's the beginning part of all that from top to bottom, talking about last year. He says, I just always mention football character. These guys love football. They love it. They love learning, and they love talking about it, and they love playing together. There is no selfishness out there, end of quote. And, and that's in scouting. We talk about this a lot in the draft. You're always trying to pinpoint the people that love football, not what football does for them. You, you're always trying to find that because this league is filled with people that love what football does for them, that have talent but maybe aren't getting the most out of it in that regard. It's a huge part of, of pinpointing the right guys and finding you know what you can really get to, to, to build an atmosphere, to build a culture, really, because we talk so much about that buzzword. And that goes back to what I wrote about on Friday. And that is when, when I asked, like, why has this happened so quickly this year when you consider the wreckage of 625 at 1? And he started very emphatically. We've identified the right people in the building. That's what this all comes back to. It comes back to having everybody understanding what the right people look like. And they don't necessarily look like the biggest names or the most talented or the most physical freaks. They look like people that freaking love playing this game and love being in a locker room around each other and, and getting them, everybody getting the most out of everybody and not being selfish about it. That's what this defense reminds me of. It, it, it really is with the no name nature of it. Like that's, there's there's a there's a hunger that comes from that that you just can't really recreate with a bunch of vets that have done it before. And you can see it and fans can see it now too because they put these interviews on they stream them on their website but you know none of these guys like doing they don't they don't love doing the the media but they know it's part of the job and they go up there and then you get them talking about football and they're great. They love it. And yes, they're not breaking down X's and O's. They're not telling us game plans, that kind of stuff. But DJ Reader yesterday was fantastic. Every time Von Bell gets in front of the microphone, every time Shadobe Awuzie, every time Mike Hilton, all these guys, Sam Hubbard, that you just get them going on football and you can tell how much it means to them, how much they enjoy it. They would probably rather be anywhere else at that moment doing something else with their teammates, but they're, they're there talking to you and you get them going on football and it just, it changes their mood and, and they just, they just like talking about it. And, you know, I mean, I've been around locker rooms where it's like the only way you get to know anybody is to do anything but talk about football. Mm. It's like I've, I, I have, there are so many of these guys who I, who you've inter- interviewed over the years who it's like, God, you talk about football and they're just like droning on or whatever, mm. you know, and then you start talking about, you know, TV shows or whatever and, and they light up and, and, and all of a sudden they've got this joy and excitement about them. And that might be part of like being in some bad locker rooms 
uh, at the end of bad seasons, and it's just the last thing on these guys' minds. But when you're excited about it, when you're excited about the direction of things, when when you know every week is this new fun opportunity, it's different. But you're right. I mean, we are. It's surprising that we've ended up at this spot. I mean, Jay, you had the stats on on how good they've been defensively. I mean, they're top 10 in almost every major metric. I mean, whether whether from the advanced stuff of DVOAs uh, to the basics of yards allowed, yards per play, you name it, almost everything, they're top 10. But there's no Aaron Rodgers on their schedule. And, we, and that's what makes this fun. It's a house money game. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's no one's going to hate on them if the Packers come in and win. Um, but it's a great test to learn about if this defense is really for real or if they were kind of a product of schedule magic. And I think for that fact, it just makes it really fun. It's a it's a win win where it's really if you if you lose, it's okay. But it's a great measuring stick for this team is something they have not had to do yet, which is as face a guy like in an offense like like Green Bay. Interesting nugget, not necessarily relevant. But Aaron Rodgers, of all uh, of all the teams he's faced, he has the second lowest winning percentage against the Bengals. He's one and two for a one for a three thirty three winning percentage against the Bengals. He's he's one and three for a two fifty winning percentage against the Colts. Um, the the three times that Aaron Rodgers has faced the Bengals, he's been sacked six six and four times. Um, again, not relevant because they play every four years. Almost nobody on this team was even around. The last time Aaron Rodgers played the Bengals in 2017, it was mainly the special teams guys. But it, it is there's a parallel there, at least that it's the same uniform that that he's he just hasn't been able to to beat this team. I remember that that one game where Antoine Odom had five sacks against him, and I think 2009 they had the crazy game in 2013 um, where the Bengals jump out to a huge lead, the Packers score storm back with 30 unanswered points it seemed like then the Bengals get a late turnover a touchdown return from Terrence Newman and they win and then that game in 2017 the the first game after they fired Bill Lazor or the first game after they fired Ken Zampezi and Bill Lazor took over and they start like a house on fire and then Aaron Rodgers does what he does and takes him takes the game to overtime and then beats him with a long pass in overtime but this this team has for whatever reason and coaches different players different but it's the Bengal stripes have given Aaron Rodgers fits. And I know everybody's certainly hoping that's going to be the case again Sunday. I mean, actually though, so there are three and a half point underdogs here at home uh, against yeah. the Packers. And I just, because I like doing this situationally, I went back and looked at Aaron Rodgers as a two and a half to four and a half point favorite on the road in the last 10 years. How's that for some, some specifics. Okay. Yes. And he is as straight up, is 13 and 12. So it's down the middle, even though he's a favorite. So that's one thing. And the Bengals are one of those. That 2013 game, mm-hmm. they were a favorite of four and coming into that game. And the Bengals ended up winning 34 to 30 on Terrence Newman, uh, taking a fumble on fourth and one, the length of the field. And one of the great, my personal favorite Dave Lapham call of all time. <laughs> balls out, balls out, balls out. <laughs> One of the, I mean, and then in like eighteen woos, <laughs> like I mean, it is it is one of the absolute best uh, calls in in Bengals radio history. I will I will say it's my favorite. If you ever ask me my favorite, that's the one. I, I always think of that when I think about that game. Um, so I I, I want to do this. 
we were kind of talking about chemistry and all these things. I want to bring in Mo Eger because one of his tweets is one that kind of directly touches on that, and we'll talk with him about that. And then we're going to come back with some Burrow stats before we uh, get bring in uh, Jim Ozarski. So here, here's our ESPN 1530s, Mo Eger. All right, and now is that time on Here That Podcast Ground. We're bringing our good friend from ESPN 1530, Mo Eger, and make him hear about his tweets from the past week. Mo, how are we doing? I'm doing great, guys. What's up? Doing good, doing good. So we, we're starting off now where we figured it out where we're going to open this segment every week by reading you your tweet stats, which I'm sure is something you're really excited about. I've, I've never uh, been less enthusiastic for anything <laughs> in my life. Jay, what is Mo's tweet stats for the week? Jay's got Mo tweet stats. Mo had 96 tweets for the week. And that, that includes quote tweets, but not retweets and not replies to all of his birthday well wishes. <laughs> and that is down down for the week your screen your your tweet screen time is down a few percentage points yes it was 103 last week all right jay are you the one in charge of of counting these i am yes is there a spreadsheet oh my no no spreadsheet for this i think there needs to be a spreadsheet (laughs) i am i am fully in support of there being a a spreadsheet for this at some point uh so we can find out your particularly busy weeks but i i have picked Two of these tweets uh, to discuss. Um, one of them, I think, we'll, we'll start with here. It's not groundbreaking, uh, but have I is... ever sent a groundbreaking tweet? <laughs> Maybe I, no. No, 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 probably not. But but this one is very factual, and I think it's a good discussion point to jump off with because it's also been a very a topic that we've spent many many hours on together on the radio uh, or. In, in forums like this, and that is sent at 1128 on Thursday night, and that is Zach Taylor has won five of his last seven games, period. True statement. True statement. Mm-hmm. As you have heard many a caller mm-hmm. call in to complain about the head coach call for the head coach is firing and this is the year of fire the coach i mean after every bad series bad loss bad play call fire the coach fire everyone is just kind of the thing that's yelled is it turning is it turning for zach taylor here because of this feels like it right yeah again he's won five of his last seven games um and I, I was thinking about this in the lead up to the Jacksonville game because a lot of people wondered, well, God, how are they going to handle coming off the highly emotional Pittsburgh win? And, and I had two thoughts about that. Number one, watching it from afar, it kind of felt like it wasn't a ho-hum that they beat the Steelers, but it, it felt kind of businesslike. Um, but I, I went back to last December, and and if ever there was a chance for a team to sort of go, all right, we did it, we won our game, we beat the Steelers, now it's week 16, let's go to Houston and lay down. That would be it. And instead, at least offensively, they played really, really well. I don't know how much that says about Zach Taylor, but it, it has to say something. And and he did it with a different quarterback against the Texans than he did against against Pittsburgh. So, look, we've, we've said that at some point things have to turn and it's going to be reflected by him winning games. Okay, well, he is. And then, you know, you add all the offseason stuff to it. I know, Paul, you and I talked about you know, everybody's showing up at, at OTAs and minicamp and all that stuff and, and everybody being on board with what the plan was this offseason. Um, it, it seems to be reflected in what the team is doing on the field. And, and again, if, if you're going to say, well, look, at some point he's got to start winning games when he starts winning games, <laughs> there it is, you know. So 
Um, does it continue? I, that obviously remains to be seen. But in the year that this is, we, we don't care as much about culture and all that other stuff that we spent two years talking about Zach trying to achieve. It's all about how much do you win and how much do you lose? He's winning more than he's losing. And that goes back to the end of last year. Not just winning, but two in a row in primetime, two in a row against Pittsburgh. I'm curious because, you know, we see the tweets kind of scroll by like like a slot machine at times, but you actually have to listen to people when they call in. Um, You say that with such like such pity. (laughs) No, I I mean, I'm I'm curious. Do you do you sense a tide turning that that the fans are is it still fire Zach all the time or do you do you get the sense that fans are starting to kind of get behind him nobody has called to say he's doing a great job which means the answer is yes because that's just how it works nobody waits on hold to say boy you know what extend Zach Taylor or he should be the coach of the year god they've got their guy but the the noise has quieted which that's probably as good as things are going to be for a while with Zach. And, and, mm-hmm. and that's, I think that's how it works around the entire league. You're either complaining about the coach or you're not talking about the coach and nobody's really talking about him right now, which is you'll, you'll find folks who, who take issue with play calling and things of that nature and, and how conservative the game plans have seemed certainly in the, in the first half and, and folks who wonder why it takes them a while to open things up. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think, I think people have come over to at least believing there's a chance the Bengals have their coach instead of assuming that they don't because of his lack of experience or because he went six twenty five and one over his first uh, over his first two seasons. Um, hmm. And and look, if if they beat the, the Packers and then they're favored to to beat the uh, Detroit Lions, I'm guessing at some point you'll hear people start to talk about how the Bengals got their guy, but. Um, the noise has quieted and and really the, the noise has quieted about a lot of things when it comes to this team. You know, people aren't screaming about the draft. Those who were on mm-hmm. team Sewell folks aren't complaining about Jamar chase dropping passes because he's not. So uh, there's really very little to complain about, which is, um, rarefied air in, yes. uh, in my world, <laughs> a product of winning. I yeah. mean, look, it's, yeah. it's just what it is. Like when, when the team wins, people, forget all those things they've been yelling and screaming and guess what will happen if they lose to the Packers on Sunday <laughs> yes fire the coach play calling was bad this is a disaster you know I mean it's it's the, it's the roller coaster and, and I love it and that's what makes sports great it's what makes it the best reality show going people are so emotionally invested every week they ride the roller coaster the job of the good coaches the great coaches is to know how to ride that and and keep it going smooth and focus on the on people not vomiting at the end of the ride and not (laughs) worrying about the week to week yeah look there's always going to be people for whom the only thing that matters is does he win a playoff game and until that happens they're not going to hand down a verdict on zach taylor i think that's extraordinarily unfair i mean he's got to get there first he's still not likely to get there this year there's so many pieces that have to fall into place before you can even judge him by whether or not he wins a playoff game and are we going to do the whole thing where they get to the postseason he loses a wild card game and we determine he's not the guy but i i don't know just Paying attention to the team. There's not a lot about the way they play or the way they're operating that I don't like. I, I, yes, I wish, I I wish they would be a little bit more aggressive offensively um, and, and not wait till the end of the first half or the second half to finally start throwing deep. But I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say he's doing a terrible job just because of that. Um, 
the team really seems to like playing for him. I've not watched the Bengals over the last two and a quarter seasons and thought, God, it, this looks like a, a team that is uh, tuned out its coach or a coach that looks like it's lost. It's uh, he's lost his locker room. The, the off season thing felt big to me that everybody came to minicamp and OTAs. The, the guys have said all the right things publicly, at least about uh, Zach Taylor. And now they're winning games. <laughs> That's kind of checking all the boxes. So yeah. No, no, nobody is saying the Bengals should extend him or he should be the coach for the next 10 years or they have their guy, but things are moving in the right direction. They're moving in the right direction for the franchise. And it feels to me like they're moving in the right direction for Zach Taylor. And somebody had to say it. So I chose to be that person. Yeah, no, I, 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 I that's how and I'm we also judge. the guy that compared him to Dave Shula last year. So, you know, and, and his record compares him to Dave Shula and not favorably. Right. Uh, and, and that's fine. And until, until that's not your record, it is, you know, I mean, it's, it's the, that's the NFL. Like that's what it is. And, and if you're changing that, we need to note that as well as an important part of what it is. And we'll judge this after 17 games this year and see what that record looks like and make decisions at that point. All right, let's just take a quick break. I have another tweet for you. The tweet is, and you'll know what I'm referencing. This photo will be displayed in my home forever at 9.27 p.m. on Saturday night. Would you like to tell uh, our listeners what this photo is? It's of me and uh, the great Dan Horde enjoying victory cigars um, in front of Touchdown Jesus on uh, Notre Dame's campus. And the backstory behind this is when they, they played at IU two weeks ago. And uh, as we were getting our bag scanned to go into the stadium, uh, I had a cigar in the side pocket that I was going to smoke the night before and I, I didn't get around to. And, and Dan saw it and said something to the effect of, Mo's got his victory cigar ready for after the game. So the, game, the Bearcats won the game. We're walking back to our car. And it's a long walk across this lot. And I saw the cigar and I thought, I'm going to light that thing up. And Dan said, well, let me take your picture in front of like this facade outside uh, IU's football stadium. And he tweeted, Mo enjoying a Red Auerbach moment. For those who don't know, Red Auerbach, the legendary uh, Hall of Fame coach of the Celtics, would light up a victory cigar toward the end of games. It's the ultimate smack talk move. I mean, it's the the ultimate. Uh, the game would still be sort of garbage time would be happening and Red would have his cigar. So fast forward to last week, I was on the air with Bill Cunningham and he was telling me how Notre Dame was going to beat UC. And I said, I'm going to send you a photo of me smoking a, a red hour back victory cigar in front of touchdown Jesus. And so I, uh, I took a, a couple, I love cigars. I took a couple cigars with me to South Bend. I was going to smoke one on Friday because it took me about 19 and a half hours to get there. I didn't get a chance. So the game ended. And uh, I said something to the effect of, I- I've got to get my picture in front of Touchdown Jesus smoking a cigar. And Dan, who is not a cigar smoker, asked, he's like, do you have two? And I'm like, believe it or not, I do. So he's like, I'm in that photo. So <laughs> um, I, we took it. I, I didn't know if that would be appropriate social media content. So I kind of took my cue from Dan. And Dan went back to Cincinnati. I hung out on South Bend for the night. I looked at my phone and Dan had tweeted it. I'm like, all right, Dan Horde, who's Teflon, if he could do that, I don't think there's anything wrong with the photo, but everybody gets mad about something. So yes, uh, it will be in my, uh, it will be posted back here. I'll get it developed. That will be in my home forever because it was an awesome experience. 
and I sort of said it would happen, and that rarely happens. So um, that makes me happy. And they covered. They covered. They covered. They <laughs> covered. <laughs> Unbelievable. I mean, the, I mean, it's it's funny. I, whenever you talk about Victory Cigars, I always now, sadly, in my own weird head, always go to Darko Milicic, the the human <laughs> Victory Cigar, when he would come in for the Pistons for when the Pistons had that run and their bad draft pick would would come in and, and play. But but I mean, as experiences go, and not to get off onto a tangent, you know, we actually we talked to Zach Taylor about this um, on Monday because uh, uh, he was part of the recruiting process mm-hmm. of of Desmond Ritter, who would be at Eastern Kentucky, if not for Zach Taylor. And he, he, you know, pushed all credit. Like, look, do not put Desmond Ritter like this is my thing. Like, this was Luke Fickle and his staff developing him, and that's how you get guys like that. But, I mean, what Luke Fickle has been able to do there, you you had another tweet about that I considered about your experience playing 1AA Troy State in 1999. I know. I was between the two. I was between the two where you – you went to a game against one double a Troy state and they lost and there was like nobody in the stands in the late nineties. And, and to think about you, we've seen iterations of this and fittingly, Brian Kelly was there for this big iteration of what Luke fickle has done. This one's different. Even than what Brian Kelly did, like this one feels more sustainable. Brian Kelly felt like he was smoking mirrors. Like he was pulling magic out. This is real guys, NFL picks, being developed and found and recruited and wanting to come here. And it just feels more real. Yeah. Somebody asked me Sunday night, has the program ever been better than it is right now? And I said, no. And look, those Kelly years were awesome, but it, it it felt fleeting. The recruiting, you know, Brian Kelly, and I don't say this to discredit what he did, but, but, you know, he won with D'Antonio's guys. And in the last the last year and a half, his recruiting, there was a lot of style over substance. Remember the deal where he was like helicoptering from football, high school football game to high school football game. And I'm like, that's really cool. Um, are you getting any of the players? Are you just doing that to, you know, I mean, and, and it, you know, you saw uh, Butch's first year, the cupboard was not very full. I, I think by then it was, you know, let's, let's go undefeated and get out of here. Cause Charlie Weiss is going to get fired. But, but even like the fan base, I think is a lot more invested in the nuts and bolts of the program. Now nobody was following UC football recruiting in 2008, 2009. Uh, It it still felt like, Hey, this is fun and it's enjoyable and it's great. But when basketball is good again, we're going to go back to basketball. And now it feels like they understand everybody's football's carrying the, the the school uh, carried it to the big 12. Um, I think Luke Fickle, I mean, you know, I know people are going to talk about USC and and maybe he's coaching at USC next year, but he's coached a fifth season at UC. I mean, Brian yeah. Kelly never did that. Mark D'Antonio never did that. Butch Jones never did that. Thankfully, Tommy Tuberville never did that. <laughs> this feels like a program. And I, I don't know what the right word to describe what it was 2007, 2008, 2009. And again, those years were awesome. And they brought people to UC football, brought people to the party for the first time. But this feels, yeah, sustainable. This feels like something that can continue for a while. And, and and frankly, it feels like something that can continue for a while, even if Luke Fickle's not the coach forever. Um, because it's a really good job moving to the Big 12. They're having some success. The recruiting pipelines are wide open. The fan base is really locked in. Um, you're no longer having to, you know, beg people to come. I used to listen to Mark D'Antonio during game broadcasts, beg people. 
if you're listening, come to Nippert Stadium. Uh, I remember getting a cold call uh, voicemail recording. My ex-wife and I were putting up our Christmas tree. It was before they played Rutgers in 2006. And there's, hey, this is Mark D'Antonio. We're playing Rutgers on Saturday. And I mean, the, the, the crap like that, they're no longer having to, to beg for money for indoor practice facilities or to get the stadium upgraded. All that stuff is done. And they're going to go build a, a new football-only, football-specific place. And, and that'll, you know, take some some effort. But the and, – and a lot of what has happened is a – a result of the success that Brian Kelly had, but this feels like a program in the truest sense of the word. And it's been awesome to watch evolve. And quickly, for those who don't know, I, Mike DeCourcy, who covered UC sports uh, for the Inquirer many, many years ago, wrote about how, yeah, I came to Cincinnati to cover basketball, but I had to cover football. So I made a deal. I'm only going to cover home games and I'm not going to go to practice and all that stuff. And I read it. It was a good piece because I remember those days. I remember when, UC football didn't exist as an entity. Like you would watch the local TV news and they would talk about the Bengals game the next day. Here's what Ohio state did. Hey, by the way, did you see the elder game last night? Oh, and uh, it says here, UC lost again to, you know, whoever. I mean, it was, it just, it was a non-entity. And I remember going to a game in 99, they played one double A Troy state. Uh, my buddy and I, he had, basketball tickets. I bought the other ticket. We had to buy the football tickets. He never wanted to go to football. I asked everybody I knew and I, no one wanted to go. My, my, the woman who was going to be my first wife, I was dating her and she didn't want to go. And I sit there by myself. There's like 3000 people in the stands. They're playing Troy state, which I never heard of. And they lost 31, 24. <laughs> and I remember going like, why do I, I don't go here. Why am I rooting for this? Like, why, why can't I root for <laughs> Penn state or Alabama or somebody and uh, to think back to then and then put yourself at Notre Dame Stadium on Saturday was was really, really cool. Really cool. Well, cool for a lot of UC fans who invaded South Bend. Yeah. <laughs> there was so much red uh, in the stands, which made it even more incredible to watch and a, a cool moment for anybody that's been following it. And definitely for those that were at the game against Troy State. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Mo, as always, it's been fun talking about your tweets with you. And uh, I will see you this afternoon, right? From three to yes. four. Yes, yes, we're back. Three yes. to four on ESPN fifteen thirty. I'll be on that, so come flip over and, and listen to the other side of the conversation. Thanks, Mo. I <laughs> see you guys. Thanks. Thank you, Mo. All right, good, good for Mo. Good for everybody that follows UC football who enjoyed this weekend in a, a, a really one of those special experiences. If you follow a team, that you kind of it's kind of why you follow a team, you know, <laughs> to, to be able to do things, have things like that. I think it's uh pretty uh pretty awesome weekend for uc football we'll see maybe maybe the awesome weekends will be continuing if they can run the schedule and and end up in that college football playoff and uh yeah nobody wants to see them play alabama if you like uc but i don't think anybody in the country wants to play alabama except georgia so uh (laughs) i think everybody's kind of in that same boat um let's jump in real quick i want to talk about some joe burrow rankings that i have updated um i've been talking a little bit about some of the burrow bump stuff and, and now with sort of the quarter season, Jay, I hate the 17 games. I lost. We lost our like nice and tidy quarter mile posts. Yeah. So frustrating. So that after almost a quarter of the season, uh, he has he ranks in the top 10 in so many categories. And I'm just going to do this. I went through and picked his 2020 ranking versus his 2021 ranking and now these are all rates so it's not 
totals. Um, and anything that is a total, uh, I actually went and just did the week 11 weeks of last year. So basically, here's, here's what you get. Yards per attempt in 2020, he ranked 25th. He's currently third. Adjusted net yards per attempt. Everybody that listens to this knows my favorite stat, most winning stat. Uh, 26 in 2020, 9th thus far in 2021. Completion percentage, 22nd in 2020, 3rd this year. Passer rating, 24th last year, 6th this year. TD percentage, how many throws going for touchdowns? 28th in 2020, 3rd this year. QBR, ESPN's uh, metric, 24th last year, 19th this year. I talked to Mike Sando, who works for us, who's one of the inventors of QBR, uh, and he's, he thinks that the sacks are probably a big part of what's holding him back from being all the way up in the top 10 in that, mm-hmm. but it probably will even out, assuming the sacks don't start piling up again. Uh, so if we're looking for a little background on that. PFF grade, 23rd last year, 5th this year. PFF currently has Joe Burrow 5th amongst all quarterbacks. Points per drive as a team. Again, this was just through 11 games last year, only counting Burrow games. 25th last year, 17th this year. Red zone touchdown percentage, 27th last year, 5th this year. Now, one other number for you, Jay, to go with those, because I got stats. (laughs) Drop back percentage. How many of your total snaps are you dropping back to pass? 6th last year, 30th this year efficiency matters you don't it's not about volume i'm going to keep reminding everybody everybody was enamored with joe burrow over 300 yards over and over again it's not about volume that makes the greats great and the greats win it's about efficiency it's about what you do on every drop back that wins games that lower number is making his efficiency higher and that's why the Bengals are three and one that yeah (laughs) And I think volume does play into it some. It would be it'd be interesting to see where they ranked in terms of plays per game last year compared to this year because they have had a, a few games where they've just been really low on the number of plays they had because of the way the games have played out, letting the Steelers right. just do all those checkdowns and stuff. But yes, it is. It's that is a a huge jump. And I don't think I don't think anyone doubted that he could do that, but I, I maybe midseason you would start to see all those rankings be top 10 the fact that he's there already um i mean you just you just start thinking about how much better even how much higher he can climb because they haven't really opened it up as much as as what you expect them to do it's it's going to be interesting to watch it's for us and for everybody i mean the the ratings came out for thursday night that was the highest watched NFL Network exclusive exclusive game for Thursday Night Football since 2018. It's the Bengals and the Jags. Two small markets, but two Heisman winning number one overall picks. People want to watch Joe Burrow play football. I'm glad you said that. And those, because here's the thing, when we look at the rest of the schedule, it would have been a joke. I just I was so excited to see because we like Sunday at one. It's nice and it's 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 a nice routine to have. <laughs> you don't end up these late night travel. All that stuff is hard on. It can be hard on us. Not that I'm complaining about our jobs. We're fine, but it's it's just I like Sunday at one. And I think we're gonna get a whole year of Sunday at one. And now I don't know. Yeah. Now we'll, I mean, we'll see if the Bengals continue to stay relevant. This is not they're gonna be you know seven and two this is not what i'm saying but if they're in the mix in the north and they're worthwhile okay 
Joe Burrow becomes a story. If Joe Burrow continues to rank where he ranks right now. Joe Burrow becomes a bigger story. And networks normally don't even care about that, but they see those numbers. Mm-hmm. Oh, they care about that. Now I think it changed. I think that changed big time whether this team could get flexed later this year because their schedule always set up for that. If the Bengals were good, if the Bengals were relevant, and now they're going to get really start getting tested against the Chargers, against the 49ers, against Baltimore, against Kansas City, those are four home games late in the season. If the Bengals are relevant, and the networks have are looking for potential flex out of some team that's gotten bad. You look at that. I mean, that's perfect. And you say, oh, they got great ratings against Jacksonville. Or they got great ratings. People really love watching Joe Burrow. They're really interested in the young quarterbacks. And Joe Burrow, this could be a great chance to flex. If they stay relevant, I I, I think there's a chance that we have not seen our last primetime game uh, at Paul Brown Stadium this year. I predict if they beat Green Bay – they get one. And, and here's why. In weeks five through ten, they're allowed to flex two Sunday night games, only two. And I went and looked at who those games scheduled are, and there's three of them. There's no chance they're getting flexed. Bills at Chiefs, Cowboys at Vikings, Chiefs at Raiders. Those are staying put. But week seven is Colts one and three at 49ers two and two. And I think the 49ers play the Cardinals this week. They could easily be two and three. All of a sudden, that game does not look very attractive at all. If if the decision on that week seven game has to be made a week from today. If the Bengals beat the Packers, they go to four and one. Ravens could very well be in four and one. Again, two young, exciting quarterbacks, division game. I could see week seven at Baltimore getting flexed. I predict it will. If if they beat the Packers. You're shaking your head no. You're saying nope. No, not why do you speak this into existence, Jay? You putting <laughs> us in a Sunday night road game? You're trying to put us in a Sunday night road game? I mean I don't well, mind the home ones as much. They say because I will sleep in my own bed. Well, yeah, well, on a road, you don't have to sleep in any bed. You just go straight from the stadium to the airport and come home. Yes, that's the worst case scenario. <laughs> I don't want to go straight from my job to the airport and not sleep for a day, Jay. Oh God! The the, that, we, that, the the road, the road. Oh, it brings back bad memories of. It does bring uh, back bad. In, leaving you know a what? Philadelphia press box at four a.m., going back to my hotel to try to sneak in ninety minutes of sleep, and missing my flight, and spending an entire day in airports trying to get a flight home. Um, on a it was Sandy Hook day, so you just want to get home. You just oh, want to see your kids. God. It was it was one of the most miserable experiences I've had in this job. But I, I do. I think I I do. I'm not wishing it upon us. I'm just predicting it's going to happen. I mean, Lamar versus Burrow is too enticing if they're both a week from today sitting there four and one and you're looking at that as opposed to Colts 49ers. I, I, I think it's going to happen if they win. Run pass or boot, night games played by the Bengals the rest of this year, zero, one, or two. I'll run with one, I'll pass on zero, and I'll boot two. I'm not. I'm still not sold that they can they can be good enough, and I haven't looked at the schedule to see. I, they've done a pretty good job, it seems like, with these Sunday night games. And I don't know, a lot can change, but that's that's asking too much. I don't know if any team's ever been flexed into Sunday night twice in one season. The Bengals better hope they don't get flexed. They have the longest active losing streak. They have the longest ever losing streak on Sunday night football. It's Jay's at nine. Stats. 
It's at nine games right now. They haven't, on sun- they haven't won on Sunday night football since they beat the Dolphins in 2004. Wow. And of those games, of those that 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 long losing streak, uh, four of them were flexed into Sunday night games. So you you might think it's fun to watch your favorite team, Bengals fans, on Sunday night football, but. The results, and they're, they've been bad in primetime altogether, but Sunday night has been a disaster for them. So it might be one of those careful what you wish for type of things. Could you run through a few of those games for me just to take me down memory lane? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> the, particularly the four flexed? Yes. Okay, the the, the flexed ones were um, back in 18. They got flexed into a Sunday night game at Kansas City. Oh, Got, got dump trucked 45 to 10. You know what I remember most about that game? There was a scene uh where after uh the latest Kansas City touchdown and there was a guy in a like one of those like Mexican wrestling masks that was a Bengals one <laughs> and they zoomed in on him kind of with like this sad face with this mask on and all of a sudden no more no, out of nowhere before the cameras could react he just popped up a middle finger and flipped <laughs> off the camera <laughs> and it became like such a great gift that for some reason has fallen out i don't hear it very often i don't see it show up very often compared to a lot of gifts in my timeline so if you if you if you have that one and you find an appropriate time to use it uh, feel free to send it to me because it's one of my favorites ever sorry continue um the the, the other time well they lost um a flex game in 2015. It was against the Cardinals. It was a great game. 34 yeah. to 31. Carson Palmer um, came down to the end. Not Carson um, Palmer. You said 2015, right? Well, Palmer was with the Cardinals at the time. Oh, right? yeah. yeah, that's right. He yeah. was with the Cardinals. That's right. He led that comeback and because the Bengals took a lead late and then the uh, Cardinals went down and won it at the end. Um, 2014, the season finale, they got flexed uh, at Pittsburgh Lost that game 27-17. That was the game A.J. Green uh, going, putting them in position for a game-tying field goal, possibly a game-winning touchdown, gets concussed. Then he misses the next week, the first-round playoff game against Indianapolis. They put Rex Burkhead at wide receiver, and everything just went to hell from there. Um, And then going back to 2010, everybody's favorite Sunday night flex game, Bengals at Jets. And the Bengals just... (laughs) Bengals sit everybody because they've already got it wrapped up and they lose 37 to nothing. Network not happy. They flex that game. No, it's been a good (laughs) run. Uh, Yes, maybe Bengals fans don't, but things have been different. I mean, they're on a winning streak on primetime. They're on a winning streak against Pittsburgh. So maybe things really are. That would be the ultimate test that things really are different if they could pull something like that off. So we'll be, we'll be keeping an eye on that as we go forward. But and I think that's and I think that's the kind of thing that hinges on beating Green Bay. I, you lose to Green Bay, I think people are still kind of kind of calling you pretenders a little bit uh due to just what the schedule has been. But we'll see. We'll see. Those ratings will help. All right, speaking of like, you know, morning flights and some of these old games, <laughs> it's the perfect transition, perfect segue to to bring in my old friend four four years together on the beat covering the Bengals uh with Jim Ozarski let's uh let's let's bring Jim in it's funny that Jay and I just got done talking about uh being in an airport after a Sunday night game having to fly back the next morning because when I think of that I only think of one person and that's morning Jim who is <laughs> one of the one of the most give no f's person in an airport when he hasn't had his sleep that you'll ever see he's it's one of my it's one of my favorite of your many personalities Jim 
<laughs> well, I'm glad to be back. And yeah, it is. Uh, thankfully, as we record this, it's not that early. Yeah, so I'm only no. slightly angry. I knew we couldn't uh, put you know. I knew that we couldn't put you on the beginning of the show. You needed that <laughs> extra hour. <laughs> One thousand percent. It is good to be back. Uh, heard in Cincinnati. Yeah. So Man, Jim, for those who don't remember, of uh, Jim and I were on the beat uh, for about four years, I believe, and uh, including your first season, twenty fifteen, the good days, the good times. <laughs> 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 back in the good times, uh, and you know, we did the podcast together for a long time, and uh, loved everybody that kind of jumped on board on that with us. One of the early, we were one of the early adopters of the podcast world, and uh, and had a lot of had a lot of fun with it. You moved on, of course. You left to go be back uh, closer to your family, where you know you were doing the commute as i think many people listen to the podcast knew from cincinnati to milwaukee uh so when the job came open in milwaukee to cover the packers uh you jumped on it went back there covered the packers uh for matt lafleur's first year um yes. and an nfc championship run and then or a run to the nfc championship game i should say uh and then flipped over to the nba world and covered the milwaukee bucks and they won a championship. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's been and took and had no off time in between. Are, have you have you officially gotten enough uh, vacation time in between your first vacations you've been allowed to have in like you know almost two years? Yeah, I, I uh, definitely did take time off. I left Game Six like three a.m. from Pfizer Forum after Game Six, and and was not seen or heard from again until like September. <laughs> so yeah, but clearly there's a trend. I mean, really, I mean, unfortunately, perhaps expectedly, the Bengals didn't quite go all the way. But that first year of me sort of rolling it, well, I guess Mike McCarthy was fired in the first year. All the Packers fans were happy about that. But like Matt Lafleur's first year, you know, NFC Championship. Yeah, it's been um, it has been wild. You know, the last the last two years because I, I left the Packers uh, in the two thirds of the way through. Yeah, last year and they were obviously a good squad as well. I mean, I, I would have argued the favorite to win the NFC at that point, and yeah, go right into to NBA basketball and you know, um, I no Cincinnati guys. There's a Louisville guy. Yeah, you know, no. I don't know if Cincinnati cares about Louisville, so you no. know it was. Uh, <laughs> but there's no, I mean, there's no Jake Kumaro type no. guy that's a direct connection you know that yeah, becomes, becomes your touchdown jesus and i believe that you own the right to touchdown jesus before <laughs> it became a thing across the league i do want to ask you some relevant to the bengals yeah. questions jim while you're here yeah. covering aaron aaron Rodgers. you know you come from <laughs> you were here with dalton uh and then you go to watch aaron Rodgers. it's practices looks a little different i'm sure what what in your mind really made him? What really set him apart on Sundays? You're a Bengals fan getting to watch me. What in your mind really set him apart week to week? Huh. This is going to sound so, um, I guess, cliche, but it, it's it's how consistently how consistently good. I, I can't say he's consistently great anymore. That I think I think that was why Matt Lafleur was hired. Quite frankly, I mean, it, it, I mean, they're going to run the same stuff that Bengals fans are used to Zach Taylor running. I mean, it's just going to look different. Obviously, um, he's not consistently great anymore, um, but it, it's there's no dips. You know what I mean? Like, like you would see every other quarterback. Really, um, it, it kind of there's there's that bad quarter. There's the bad drive. There's the bad game, and it's just never there's never 
bad. Like even in, you know, the end of the McCarthy era, which precipitated LaFleur and you're like, okay, he's slipping, you know, the, the, the peak is so high that the come down the peak is still way higher than everybody else. It's, I, I mean, in Bengals world, it's like Andrew Whitworth, right? Yeah. Like, like Whit, you could say back in 15, 16 was starting the quote unquote decline, but it, the, the top was so high. Right. And so I would say watching it every day, it was like, okay, on air in practice, I don't know if he missed a throw. Okay. Yeah. So then you take it to a game and you would see, oh, the fist throw was missed. The footwork wasn't great. Like you can nitpick, but that was where the standard was set. You know, um, and I, I would say just that the, the week to week, the throw to throw that, and, and, and I know that's, that's not sexy, but I think that's what separates those guys from an all pro like one year or a four-time pro bowler, which is still really good to just your starter. Right. I think, I think that was the thing that struck me on a daily basis. I was like, wow, this is so high level all the time. And some of, and separates from some of the young quarterbacks that are, I mean, yeah. we're seeing this league overrun now by these quality young quarterbacks and Joe Burrow is, is amongst that group. And it's, when you reach a certain level, it's that you know what you're get. You're not going to catch that guy on a bad. Whereas now, you know, you get this whole league where every week there's like a young quarterback where you, there's a chance you could rattle them and affect them, and they won't be who they've kind of been for a lot of games, and they can have it. But I mean, with Rodgers, that just doesn't. You're right. I mean, they, you just know what you're going to get, even at the lowest level. Uh, you, you know, you're you know you're going to be in for it, even if it just means you really get it in the last two minutes and he sticks it to you. You know, it's like you just <laughs> you just know you're. To get it. The other thing I wanted to ask you about um, that I think is a really interesting correlation for Bengals fans, and I trot this out occasionally, um, and that is when you look across all leagues of sports, NHL, NBA, you know, NFL, whatever, baseball, you see these teams that um, are haven't won in forever, break some streak. Uh, the Capitals in the NHL, the Bucks, Bucks in the yeah, NBA. 50 years. I mean, when we, 50 yeah. years, right? And the Bucks yeah. have been a laughing, uh, the butt of jokes. I mean, a forgotten team. Oh, the I don't know the Bucks. What I mean, you know, and that's and that's across every. It's been going on for a while, and even in the NFL, the Eagles, the Buccaneers. You know, I mean, it's like all of this. It just it changes when that guy shows up. When you have that guy, when not, all of a sudden the old brand doesn't matter. And I think the Bengals no, fans know they think they could be in the middle of that. What was it like to watch Bucks fans see Giannis take them to that next level? And what did you think about watching a small market kind of react to drought breaking? Something I think Bengals fans hope that they'll get to feel one day. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, that guy is is the difference from the quarterback in Green Bay to, yeah, which precursor, like, it just shows again how hard it is to actually win the whole thing. Yeah. Right? Because Packers have won one, <laughs> Bucks have won one, and, and we'll, you know, we'll see. But it, it uh, obviously, I, I think if, if we got some longtime listeners, no time callers to this, they'll, they'll have remembered me saying, like, Milwaukee, Cincinnati, very similar. In that, in a lot of ways, and yeah, to to see a small market team, one that was essentially the 
you know, couple couple good runs in the '80s. Ran into the goat, didn't win. I mean, where does that sound familiar, right? And then just the the model of mediocrity and bad, right? Except for maybe your one flash in the pan in a two thousand or late to like again, sound familiar? <laughs> yeah. And so it was, um, it was cool. Like it it was to be front row for that sixty five thousand out in the square. Like I'm thinking, I again, I, I mean, Cincinnati's part of me. So like I could see Fountain Square like that, watching on the big screen, right? Um, you know, raucous crowd. And yeah, the guy that was drafted, developed, signed the next contract, a little more controversial than maybe like Joe Burrow's gonna take the money, right? Like I can't see Bengals fans hope. Yeah, I, I just <laughs> I mean, football guys usually take the money the yeah, first time around. So there'll probably be a little less consternation. I mean, there'll be the year run up, right, to, to when that extension's done. But, you know, but he stayed and it took time. And, yeah, it's um, there is something about it, guys, like to to um, for that. I, I don't know. It, it was cool. It was different. Um, even from like, look, I grew up in Chicago. I, I saw six championships in Chicago uh, with, with the Bulls. I saw one with the White Sox like I was in town for. Cubs from afar, like it's still the third market. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's like, no, this is shit. This should happen. And so in Milwaukee, it definitely had that f- special feel. Like, yeah, of course, they think they can repeat. They think they got a chance. The window's open. That's true. But like to do it, to, to get there, make that run, it was, um, there was a vibe, even in COVID, even coming out of the pandemic, I think that played a part. Um, yeah, it was, it was really, it was really cool. It was, and it was, you're right. It's something like that. That guy is, uh, it can change your fortunes. You still need a lot of luck along the way, but, um, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I could definitely see why there's that feel with, with Joey franchise. I mean, he's, he looks like he's got some, some good stuff. Cause he makes everybody believe. Cause otherwise yeah. you're in a small market. You that, don't, you don't have any reason to believe like <laughs> you do <laughs> you need know? that. You do need that. You have to have that. You have to. Yeah. Yeah, you, have, yeah, you can't just have a collection of no names um, on a, on a team in a in a market like this. You know, you can you can maybe put that together if you have like some you know some big coach or some huge place with history Steelers, right? Like, I mean, you, you can you can see that, but I mean, when when you're when you're trying to pull out of the rubble, when you're trying to be Milwaukee or Cincinnati or any of these teams or or year, thirty years of drought. Um, there's, there has to be that. I think they do, you know, they, yeah, that's, un- I think that's understated. Cause like in green Bay, the smallest market of all the pro sports, like there's a, a championship expectation. I would put them right with LA, New York shit. Right. Whereas you're right. You kind of need, but wasn't that, that set by far? I mean, yeah. because they, they, because they were, they were the laughing stock until they run yeah, they into these two for, quarterbacks. Yeah. They I mean, were bad for two They needed decades. that guy first. And now they have that standard. Because that that guy, those two guys now have been around for so long, it changes the whole way the the thing is operated. Only because they f- one time got that guy. And it, what's funny, guys, is it, it, yeah, I'm I'm so gonna troll Bengals fans soon though. <laughs> um, Far you could are people. I, I don't know if people outside of Green Bay know this, but like Far saved the Packers. Like that whole like they were playing a quarter of their games in Milwaukee. They, I mean, 25 years of nothing. Like, they're going to leave. They're leaving Green Bay. And he comes along, and they get good. And guess what? They barely pass that tax. Yeah. To renovate Lambeau Field. 
And then things, that you know it. what I mean? Like that, that almost happened. You know, that was close. Are you, are you saying that, that we're approaching a similar type of scenario here? I'm just saying <laughs> Chicago could use two teams. It's going to be the house I'm that just, Burrow I'm built. I'm just saying <laughs> Chicago could use two teams. I'm just saying yeah, this is yeah. expire at about the same time. Yeah, they're going to put the Bengals in Arlington? No, nah, Chicago we, Bengals, man. Chicago, put them in Soldier Field? Yeah. Stick put the put the current Bears. Dude, they would be that that would be my squad. Like they'd be like the White Sox of football. <laughs> they would definitely be White Sox ish uh, in, in Chicago. All right. Uh, before I get into our our segments, uh, which is our total blast from the past, I want to ask you: Is there anything you miss covering the Bengals besides obviously getting to hang out with us on a regular basis? Do you- well, I mean Marvin. Yeah. I mean- <laughs> I mean, Marvin's not there anymore. No, no. You want to go cover Arizona State for a little bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, it was. Uh, it, well, the team has changed, obviously. I know Zach Taylor pretty well, um, and I think it would have been knowing him. I guess it would have been cool to like be around a new coach and trying to do what he's doing and not be, you know, Dave Shula and and all that stuff. So, like that, I think that would have been, and obviously. You look at the current team, you know, I was there for T Boyd and Joe Mixon and kind of those that the building of that core. That's exciting. But honestly, like I'm not gonna pander. It's, this is not pandering. I do miss the fan base and the angst and the anger and then the like that stuff because it's so again, I grew up a Sox fan. It's that always felt familiar coming from Milwaukee going back. Like that's I don't know what it is about that. You know what I mean? Like I miss that. I, I do miss the, the fan base in that way because it's they're passionate. They read, they listen, they email, tweeted, all that stuff. Like I don't know. That's uh, and you're you know you're morning Jim, and you got a little bit of an anger and angst to you in general. Like you guys were sort of kindred spirits a little bit. Oh, like, yeah, your spirit was very much that that kind of that kind of generally like there's a part of you that's always going to kind of be pissed off and doubting. You know, like that's <laughs> I oh, feel yeah. like that's that kind of brought you guys together a little bit. Oh, of course. Of course. Uh, yeah, if you can wake up mad, like that's, you know, <laughs> there's only, that's, a, that's a rare gift. Bang, yeah, it's a, it a rare gift, which, uh, which was speaking of, uh, one thing that we always used to do on the podcast back in the day that uh, by request has to come back, which is power rankings. Uh, we think power rankings are stupid, so we like power ranking stupid things uh and so the thing that i think fits this conversation is power ranking methods of communication for somebody in another city now top two bottom two uh i've got mine in front of me jim do you have uh what are your uh what we'll start let's be positive here let's start with your top top two methods of communication with somebody who lives in another city uh, all right uh well i i'm do I like it's like a lot of times I'll get my phone. I'm like, do I have to talk to this person? Yeah, no, uh, I mean, that's just it. I mean, phone call <laughs> is not on my top two. Let's just say, <laughs> <Yeah>. like- <laughs> I mean, yeah, look, I, I definitely uh, prefer the phone call uh, largely because it was always, I was always in the car, right? So, you know, do not text and drive. So, um, so, so driving, phone driving not- phone call is your, is, is up it's, there? Actually, you know what? I, I, to keep it real, like, yeah. Driving phone call is number one for me. Wow. That may change because now I have a seven-minute commute. <laughs> See, compared to your six-hour commute that you yes. had when you worked here. 
Yeah. So, I, but that's still rare for me. Like, I, cause again, I, I just didn't have any, many games to go to. So yes, the driving phone call. All right. That's oh, one that's for me, one for me, for, for me, my number one is weekend meetup in a place other than either the cities that you live in. I think that is my number one. And we just had that in Chicago. I you came sure. down from Milwaukee to Chicago. We were up for the game and a uh, big Saturday ensued. I've all, I think anytime you can get together with your buddies that live in different cities and meet at a third city, live more anonymously. Uh, is to me is is number one for uh, for keeping up and something to look forward to over the course of the year. I like I like the anticipation of that. That's my number one. What's your number two? Um, you know that's a good one. Thanks. I uh, <laughs> you, you may have changed honestly because of not just because we did it, but we have friends in St. Louis. I, we've done that there. I guess we haven't been fortunate enough to do that often enough for that to like rank for me. So it's not a, like a bottom thing, but uh, I don't know if I could. It's tough to execute. And it takes it's a lot of time and money to execute, but when yeah. done right, uh, oh, yeah. it's, it's it's the way to go. Yeah. Uh, can, can I tell you my bottom one? Yeah. Number one, never FaceTime me. Yeah. We're, don't, we're, I don't. I don't want to look at your face. I don't want to see your face, and I certainly don't want to do it in like a one-on-one. I'm just looking at your nose. <laughs> like what? Why are we FaceTiming? I like just either text me. Or let's or do the driving call. I bet tolerant of I I I don't need to look at my face, and you probably don't want to look at me. Why are we looking at each other and talking? I, I'm uncomfortable with this. Don't Facetime me. That's the number one bottom for me. No doubt. Facetime. Yeah. Don't oh, don't doubt. do it. Without don't a do doubt. It. The only time I enjoy a Facetime for someone that that uh, that's not where I am is the person walking in front of me who Facetimes, but then holds the phone. Yeah. to their ear. So I'm actually looking at the person they're FaceTiming from behind. They don't know me. So I, I you know, I can't be responsible for my actions. No, no, in not that at all. Situation. No, there's and you got to take advantage of that, you know, as a human. And I have. <laughs> these these kids, you know, the, the, the meme goes around these kids uh, I mean, you know, the, the walking FaceTime, I'm not, I, I'm just not there. I'm just, that's not a thing I'm ever going to be able to do. I, I also, I kind of, this is kind of connected to it. This was, there was a point early in the pandemic where we did this, the zoom happy hour. Yeah. Like I, we try like that's, it's a fun idea and spirit, but I don't feel like I'm really having a drink with my friends in the zoom happy hour. And then there's always yeah. like somebody who you just like, I didn't want to invite them, but I had to cause everybody knew. And it's not like a party <laughs> where they, where they don't know where you live. Like they just, they got the link, you know, and they can just <laughs> pop in and out. Everyone's just quiet. I'm like, oh, no, I'm drinking with this guy. You know, it's like the whole, I'm so happy that kind of went out and people don't do that anymore because the zoom happy hour was not, was not a way for things to yeah. operate. Yeah, no. I uh well number two for me is is still text. Like You're two just, like number two on the bottom? No, at the top. Yeah. Cause it's it's the uh it, it's the driving phone call and then the text. Cause that's just that's like that's real for me. Like I've got all college friends, all that stuff. They're all out of state, out of state. You guys, you know, Cincinnati crew, uh from our friends Coley Harvey, Cat Tarot, like that's even who moved on again. You know what I mean? Text is still so that's Driving phone call one, text number two. Yeah, and I'd even specify on that group chat. I like the I like yeah, the, the lack of chat. pressure to always be involved in it if you're busy when there's a yeah. group chat going, but you can drop in whenever. Uh, I, I kind of like being the one that just is like drop in after like a week and a half of not <laughs> responding. It's just, yeah. <laughs> it's just for effect. All right, Jim, we got to take you out with one opportunity. Of course, Jim, what's making you mad? 
<laughs> I mean, do we have time for this whole list? Yeah, no, you don't need to do the whole list. You don't oh, need to do the whole list. We, we probably right. don't, but you know, right. it's fine. There, there's okay. You know what might make you mad? We'll probably we might just edit it out. No, okay. I'm gonna do OG. <laughs> okay, y'all. Okay, I'm hoping people now have, have filtered in. I was an original for this, so I'm still gonna say it. Yeah, dudes who don't wash their hands. Oh, we're st- we're back on this again. I mean. I mean, it's, it's, it's forefront in now. This like. is because we never left it. <laughs> Pull that tape. This is like 2015. Yeah, no, you've been well, you've been, you've been screaming about hand washing for a long time, and it's time. still making me mad because I see it. Like, come on. Like how? Like you were gross six years ago. Like you're like now. Now you're Dude, still walking out of public bathrooms. The gall, the gall in a pandemic to not yeah. wash your hands in front of people. So I still had to throw that out there. Okay. It's Why? Fair. Yo, no, standing, standing number one. So lids in a porta john. Yo, that that like I, I don't, I don't understand. It, and it's an it. Look, I'm not trying to say I'm totally rational with all these. But why are there lids in a porta john? Why? 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 People are sitting on them. Why? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> That just creates all sorts of splashback scenarios. It's in the dark. Then you got to take your phone out. Now there's the chance of the phone in. Oh, no, that's somebody listening to this podcast has dropped their phone in a port john yeah. and or make that decision or the lid <laughs> created a problem. Yeah, fair. All right. Fair, all right. I, fair. Look, I'm a homeowner now. And so it's. Like these are these things that oh man we never got to get homeowner Jim oh, wow. what's making you mad like I mean I can only imagine the list bunnies make me so mad bunnies yeah rabbits with the white tail <laughs> Dude, I, like there is that there's nothing that puppies can ruin too my day. there's nothing that can ruin my day faster than bunnies they're waking up looking out that little window and seeing I almost had to get bleeped. What are they? What are they doing? Why? Why, why are they making you mad? Up my grass. <laughs> and then the dog, and then Zosha catches one, and I gotta like, like bag uh, it up, brush the fur out of her teeth, take her to the vet. That's a problem. bag it up. Well, you know when it's dead, what do you do with it? You're bagging up dead bunnies. I guess that's probably why you don't like them. Yeah. Wow. Doesn't like bunnies. No, I mean, I that's a morning gym crap right oh, there. That God. is like, that is straight. Like we had you on too early. You're out here like, you know what? Bunnies. <laughs> oh, I, I so love many. it. I got, okay. I got one last one. Do, so do, do a quick hit, quick hit. Don't you don't right. need to, you know. Okay. With no explanation. No explanation. Just you know, what, I, you know what makes me real mad? What? Street milk. <laughs> Street milk. Where is street milk? I don't hey, see street milk hey, often. Quick hit. Okay. Mandatory right turns. Yeah. Duh. I'm breaking a lot of laws. <laughs> Jay know what's up. I feel Jay doesn't listen to mandatory right turns either. No. <laughs> I don't. Also, uh, bunnies, dead bunnies, instead of bagging them up, just throw them over the fence in the neighbor's yard. Yeah. yeah. That's what Jay would do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Morning, Jim and Hamilton. Jay, come on now. Yeah, like the they're kind of one and the same. Hey, old. <laughs> hey, <laughs> why? Why do old dudes decide that? Like, hey, four lane road. It's just time to swag across the four lane road. Old dudes. 
It's always like age like 65 to 85. Like just like, go all the way across four lanes. Yeah. Yeah. It, there's very few opportunities that to do that though. And it's just kind of like I've seen it too often, man. It's <laughs> wow. You know what I I know what I do? I, I do miss it was it would always come back to like food, pickles, or traffic. Like your your daily having yeah. to do the six hour drive in the Yar. Shout out Yaris, <laughs> R.I.P. Yaris for those yeah. that are wondering what's the status of the Yaris. It went down. It did. Viking funeral in Lake Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you could ever hear, hey, spiders do scream. That's all I'll say about that. Yeah, yeah. Car spiders <laughs> in the Yaris. That's pretty much it. Uh, Jim, I think we I think we touched all the bases. Well, the one thing that's, hey, okay, well, I'm going to add the one thing that makes me happy, which was usually your bit. Extended director's cut of Rocky Four, November 11th, hashtag be peace. Carl Weather's still alive. (laughs) Carl Weather's (laughs) still alive. I should point out, Jim did send me an actual action figure of Apollo Creed, Carl Weathers, to make sure that I had it for this podcast, uh, and I and I and it has a bloody face on him and everything. <laughs> like it was missing everything except for the like X's on the eyes. Like here's a dead <laughs> Carl Weathers, uh, and yes, it was true. I did think that he was dead for an entire podcast, and. <laughs> Then he refused to come on our podcast to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, be peace. Yeah, be, uh, shout out, shout out, Carl Weathers. Jim, it's been a pleasure oh, as man. always. It was great, great catching back up with you, it and uh, we'll have to do it again in four years when the Packers play the Bengals again. <laughs> it sounds, well, they'll be in the same division at that point. So, you know what I'm saying? Oh be- yeah, the Chicago <laughs> Bengals. Right, right, right. Yeah, your kindred spirit team. You'll be covering them. All right, thanks, Jim. All right, guys. Talk to you soon. See you, Jim. All right. Well, I don't really know what else to say after that, Jay. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was good to visit with Jim again and uh, have him on the show. I hope listeners appreciated hearing his voice back and uh, how mad he still is. Some things won't change. You are who you are, Jay. That's right. I, I was glad to actually hear him this time. We, when we met up in Chicago, it was a loud bar, and I'm getting older. My hearing's going bad, so it was nice to actually hear what he was saying this time. And <laughs> oh, always great to hear from Jim. And I don't know what the opposite of schlep rock is. I'm, I was trying to rack in my mind what that pop culture reference would, reference would be, but Jim is the opposite of a schlep rock because not only did he go to Green Bay and they go to the NC, NFC Championship game, he covers the Bucks, they win a title. He covered the Ryder Cup, greatest dominant most dominating performance ever by a team in the Ryder cup it's just uh he seems like he's living a charmed life right now he is living a charmed life and uh if you want to read him you can read him in the milwaukee journal sentinel uh still writing about the bucks and honestly reading about Giannis Adekubo every day is uh is pretty fun <laughs> he's the bucks are a really fun team uh to follow especially coming off their title so uh awesome having jim back on and uh hopefully the, we have filled everyone's nostalgia bucket for a while that have been longtime listeners. This one was for you. Sometimes we do it for everybody. We, we usually do it for everybody, but sometimes it's for us and for you that have been around for a long time. Those that know uh, Find Paul's Phone uh, and some of the other old, old time bits that we used to do. So uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. We will be back, of course, on Thursday. A deeper preview of the Packers as we get closer to that. We'll have stuff from Wednesday's interviews. Um, Matt Schneiderman, who uh, covers the Packers currently for The Athletic, will be on to talk about the current group of Packers and what they've looked like this year. And and so we'll dive all into that. And I look forward to talking to you then. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And have a good one. Talk to you next time.